Welcome to The People's Show with Big Nazar and Randy Janda. Welcome to the People Show, Randeep Janda, Satyar Shah, getting you set for the day. A lot going on in the sports world. Yeah, even though it's summertime, folks, we got you set. We're getting uh, sat going here as well in a couple of seconds. But it is the People Show, a show for the people, by the people. Randeep Janda, Satyar Shah, hope you're doing well. Join the conversation on the Dunbar Lumber text line 650 the smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner mm. or Arbutus in Vancouver online, DunbarLumber.com. Well done, Randy, bringing us in. Had to call a Omaha! <laughs> Omaha! <laughs> Audible. Yeah, my mic was just, 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 just wasn't working. I got scared there. Ben, the intern, had no idea what was going on. I had no idea he what went, was going on either. He went uh, full on almost <laughs> like, he was co-host last hour, yeah. last two hours. And he's like, how do you the, work this board again? Yeah. His eyes were saucers for a second. I was scared. <laughs> It's fine. We got Good to have all, you back. It, so. it all worked out. <laughs> yes. Uh, a 30 seconds of uh, problems. But we are here. Yes, it is the People Show. A lot of fun coming up on the show today. Uh, Adnan Verk is going to drop in in about 30 minutes or so. We'll talk all things baseball and everything else. We like chatting with Adnan. I haven't spoken to Adnan in uh, maybe almost a year now. Yeah. The show. About, about. I think about like eight months at least. At least, at least eight, nine. Yeah, I'd say about eight, nine months or so. Is it's yeah. been a while, so I'm looking forward to talking and catching up with Adnan. Adnan, uh, Confession Friday on a Thursday yes. is coming up too. Yes. I think Ben already has a confession mm. um, to start off the show. <laughs> he's, he's got a confession. He, he right. can fess up to it. That's all right. First time both of you guys are doing Confession Friday. I know Ben's kind of been a part of it he's I've been seen around us. it you've been around it but you've never been in it no i've yeah. never been incorporated now you get you will to today incorporate. Uh, so i say both of us so uh we are both first time a little bit scared yeah uh, first time too. in the confessional uh, i i have a confession to make as well i don't know if it's i don't know if it's going to fit the standard or, or reach the level of expectation that w- you've come to expect for submissions for Confession Friday on a Thursday just get started right. and don't worry we'll get our feet wet the people will bring the rest mm. uh Send in your confession, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Hit us up with the CF as well so we can sh- flag it, and it's easier for us to flag it down. So CF, send it in, and that's going to come a little bit later on in the show. Yeah, CF, and give your confessions, and uh, we look forward to reading those and having fun with those coming up at 4.30. And also before that, however, Chris Faber, Canucks Army, he's going to drop in at 3.30. We'll talk all things World Juniors. He is covering the event and has been keeping a very close and studious eye on Canucks prospects, so we'll t- chat with him coming up as well. And he also created the now infamous intro for Confession Friday as well, mm, so right. he, he has a huge role to play in terms of Confession Friday. So we will ask him on this Thursday if he have a, has a Confession Friday confession to make. Yeah, it's probably a food confession. Probably. I mean, I he's even, been, I've seen on his uh, social, social socials, he's been uh, very, very much hitting up different food Nowadays, I mean, I, th- I think he's, he tried he's adventurous. Lobster? Let's put it that way. Yeah, like like good adventurous or just 
Uh, some of it good, some of it not so good. Right. I can't trash the guy because he likes good sword dust, so I'm, uh, that's all, all right. hey, I can't, I respect that. Some of the other stuff, though, mustard on watermelon, I can't do that. Yeah, I don't know about that. I see that on social media, too. I saw it on TikTok. I'm like, no, nope, nope. That's a no for me, dog. I'm good. Uh, so, yeah, we'll chat with him coming up at 3.30, and we'll also have Dave Pinota, the fourth period, dropping by at 5 o'clock because uh, there was some news today in the National Hockey League, not to do with your Vancouver Canucks, but it has something something to do with your Canucks because it's a team in the Canucks division, and it's a team that also just missed the playoffs barely this past year, a team that usually has very high standards, that has had to dip salary too in losing guys like Max Pacioretty. It is the Vegas Golden Knights, who have now lost goaltender Robin Leonard for the entirety of the upcoming season because he has to undergo hip surgery. So not only have they had to drop some salary, they also acquired Shea Weber's Albatross contract for LTIR. Now they're losing their starting goaltender. Yeah, that was completely out of left field in the sense that I think people understood that, hey, Robin Leonard could miss some time at the beginning of the year. Yeah. But to have the entire season written off, mm. that is a is a shocker. And it does make a huge impact for this organization because you're looking at their goalie situation. Thompson, good young goalie, but not the answer. Laurent Brossois, he's also a you know, good backup. The Canucks have seen a lot of Laurent Brossois over the last number of years, but he's also coming off an injury. And is he going to be healthy? Nobody knows that. So to me, when you start doing a, a bit of a ranking of that division, Robin Leonard not on that team, even though they have some mm-hmm. really good players, and Jack Eichel and, you know, and Mark Stone and... Some of the individuals that they've had on that team, on the back end, of course, Shea Theodore, local guy. The goalie is so important for any team. And as of right now, Sat, that's an Achilles heel. Like, on paper, they don't have anything there. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think, look at you look at that, if you're a team that is a potential playoff team in the Pacific Division, or you're at least in that conversation, you're trying to be there, this is a huge development because there's not much out there that you can do. There's not much out there you can go after. No, and even Laurent Brossois got injured at the end of last mm-hmm. season. And, I mean, uh, there is a sense that he's going to be all right. But even so, I, I remember Woodley even mentioning, oh, maybe it wasn't Woodley, I don't want to you know, attribute this to him uh, wrongly, but I remember somebody mentioning that even him being 100% ready to go for the yep. start of the season was somewhat of a question mark. Now, they hoped that he would be, but there was a world, I remember... Uh, talking to somebody about this, there was a world that Leonard would not be ready for the season. Same thing with Lauren Brossois. So the question was, do they have somebody outside of Dylan Thompson that can play games for them if need be? And you're right. Dylan Thompson can play for them, but who else is going to play? Look at the market now. Ain't anybody left. Who are you trading for? You got to trade for somebody, but who are you trading for? Like who, Who's available right now that, that is expendable that's going to be able to keep this team afloat at that level? There are a couple of names that pop into mind because there are a few different tiers. But mm-hmm. like in terms of being a legit starter, the answer, there's nobody out there. And I, I know the Islanders provide an option with Semyon Barlamov. Sure, that could be one option. I mean... That that would make sense, and it's probably music to Lou Lamorello's ears as he's trying to uh, maybe get rid of a little bit of cap space. Yeah. But the thing with Varlamov has he also controls the process. He does. There's no trade clause, and he has been reluctant in the past to move. And he's also been playing in a system that is very friendly to yes. to, to goalies as well, right? Yeah. And in Vegas, 
you don't have that guarantee. So like, we'll see with Cassidy because he's a new coach coming yep. in. What what I mean, and, and given the mo they had now, different personnel of course in Boston, but a team that was very responsible yes. and good both ways. Now, how much can the coach change that? Now, yeah. the other thing is, even beyond Varlamov, there's a couple of names that I I was kind of considering here, and on the higher end, Jonas Corposalo in Columbus is a really interesting one because mm-hmm. his cap hit is around one and a half million. Yeah. He's a UFA after this year. He gives you some flexibility because you can trade for him. You can make him the starter because Leonard's not there. But you're not tied to a long-term salary. And what do we know about Columbus? They've kind of been shopping him the last two years. Yeah. So one name that immediately came to mind for me was Columbus because they have their starter in Merz Lincolns, the guy that they're paying a little bit more. Corpus Allos felt like he's on the cusp of getting traded every single year. Yeah. Could this make sense? For the Vegas Golden Knights. Also, the team that's down the I-5, the Seattle Kraken has three goalies right now. Two of them were terrible last year. Whether it's Grubauer controls the process, I don't think he's going anywhere. Now, Chris Dreger, rough year last year. Yeah, well, I mean, and they went out and got a third goalie. As a result. Like, they they don't have the most confidence, but if you're in a position where you're saying, we just need a goalie for one year, and maybe that's a a cheaper alternative or at the very least not necessarily cheaper but i you don't have to give up much to get him cuz yeah. he's got a decent salary yeah, and, well, and he has it for 2 years right so 3.5 this year or next year so that that hurts a little bit but i think the corpus salo one is interesting that's the one like if i if i'm making that move i'm pursuing that one that's one you're looking at because hey it's a small number anyways which which means you don't dig too much into the ltir space which gives you potentially space to do other things with the LTIR space that you're going to have with those guys. So I think Corpus Allo makes sense, but I think for them to have a chance to be successful this year, and this is going to lead us to the next topic here, for them to have a good season, don't you think they almost need to get a goalie in as soon as possible so he gets acclimatized to the system, works the goalie coach, knows how they're going to play with, under Bruce Cassidy, so they can have a chance to have success, success when the season begins because it's very hard to airlift a goaltender and he has immediate success. We saw it with Robin Leonard, but he's a high-end goaltender. The guy yeah. you're bringing in is probably somewhat of a project to some degree you want to bring in. So that means they got to get get on it pretty quickly if they want to be successful this season. Totally. And I think that situation where now you know Leonard's out for the year, it's not the hell. He might miss you know the first month of the season or the first two months. No, it's he's done. You don't have any answers with all due respect to the backups that they have there. You do have to make that move. And you're not going to get a all-star level goalie. Uh, you already had that. His name was Marc-Andre Fleury, and you unfortunately, unfortunately chose the wrong goalie in that situation. And that's to no, I think, blame of one Robin Leonard. Health is, yeah. you can't really control that. But the reality is, I think if they were going to do that again, they might they might consider, all right, did we let the Vesna winner go a little too early? Did we let him go? Did we potentially do him a little dirty there? I think Vegas fans would probably feel a certain way. Management, you can't really think that way, but... It does make you think, but you have to make that move. And if I'm, you know, that Vegas management group, Corpus Allo is the one guy I'm looking at based on the fact that felt like Columbus for two years sat, mm-hmm. was ready to make a move. Even the conversations that apparently they were having with Edmonton, Edmonton was not willing to match that price. I think Vegas is kind of desperate to match that price now. They might have to. And, you know, th- depending on what the cost is, I don't know if Vegas, I mean, Columbus is going to get a first round pick for him. 
But does Vegas, you know, move a second? Is that something they want to do? They already they don't have a second round pick this year. Would have to be a future pick. This is a team that has moved a lot of stuff to before too, right? And when they traded Max Pacioretty, all they got was future considerations back in return. And now Pacioretty is injured for the next six months and after tearing his Achilles and everything. But this is a team that I don't think you can say with a straight face has improved this season. So this leads us to a discussion because we've been focusing in on the division a bit here, the Pacific Division, and looking at teams that have improved in the Pacific Division this offseason, Randeep, I look at a team like Vegas, especially now with the injury, this is not a team that's taking a step forward. They've actually gotten worse in the offseason because they've traded away Max Pacioretty, now they've lost Robin Leonard. So I don't think Vegas has gotten better this offseason. So in terms of looking at their stock up or down, uh, you're going down. Prior to this move, Prior to this announcement by the team, I would have actually said neutral in the yeah. sense that... I mean, but they lost Pacioretty. But the reason I'd say neutral is last year they lost almost 500 man games, right? Yeah. We haven't seen Jack Eichel really be himself in Vegas yet. So I would give them the benefit of the doubt. Mark Stone was not himself last year. Even Pacioretty did Injured, not play... Yeah. What, played barely? He didn't even play 40 games last year. So there's an element of, man, this team got the runaround when it comes to injuries. Yeah. So... Pre-Leonard announcement, I would have said neutral. But stock down based on the fact that we know how important goaltending can be. We know how important having a all-star level goalie can be. He can steal you games. And Robin Leonard has done that in the past. Even when he was in Chicago. Yeah. Remember how god-awful that team was? The only reason they were relevant. Like, his stats in Chicago were good. They had the worst defense in the NHL that year. So, to me, like, he obviously is that level of goaltender... And when you lose that, and you have a team that has no answer back there, two backups are not going to cut it. This is a, a competitive Pacific division. I still think the stock is down, but I don't think it's tumbling. And I think it can be neutral again if they get like a corpus L. But as of right now, yeah, the stock is down. Oh, they've I, I, they definitely haven't improved. They have not no. improved from last year. And I'd say like they their roster just has actually taken a slight step back. Now, that doesn't mean they're not a good team. That doesn't mean if they stay healthy, they're not a playoff team. It just means if we're looking at stock up, stock down, to your point, and have you actually materially improved your roster this offseason? They haven't. So if we start looking at which teams have improved, and and here's where it does get misleading, Randy, because a team can improve and still not be good enough. Yeah. And if your team is not good, it's easier to improve because you have so many holes to fill. If you fill two guys, it improves your team. It's, it's not a high bar to cross, right? Yeah. That's why I think the team that has improved itself the most in this division is a team that's still not good, a team I'm not high on, and I wonder about their plan. It is a Seattle Kraken, though. Okay. Because if you look at what they did in the offseason or during the season, who would they trade? Guys like Yanmark. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nothing really important, right? It wasn't anybody that really moves a needle for your team. Giordano was the biggest guy they moved. They moved Marcus Johansson. Again, not guys that move the needle, but they moved Giordano. Well, considering Gio's age and what he is, getting Justin Schultz in essentially replaces that. And they also added Oliver Bjorkstrand and Andre Burakovsky. Yeah. Those are two legitimate top six forwards. They're paying Burakovsky a fair price at $5.5 million. They only give up a third and a fourth round pick to acquire Bjorkstrand and his contract. But those are two bottom, bona fide top six forwards they've added. So I'd say the team in the division that's made the biggest... And based on where the roster was, because they haven't lost a lot off yeah. the roster and the additions they've made... They're not good enough still. I don't. They're not in even Vancouver's class. But I think the Kraken are the team that's improved itself the most this offseason. Yeah, and they even to add to that, we talked about the three goalies that they have. They added Martin Jones as well. Yeah. Gives them a little bit more depth, so at least they have 
room to cover any deficiencies. They have improved. Um, here's the problem with the Seattle Kraken, though, is to your point, does it really matter in the short term? That's the question. Right? Like, but Shane they should Wright, be better offensively. Matty Beneers. And Beneers. Shane Wright and Beneers. Like, we'll see what happens. But in terms of have they improved, that's a yes. But their starting point, and this is the problem I have with Ron Francis's job in Seattle, is that he should have had a better starting point. So, therefore, we're saying, oh, they've improved, but how much is it going to matter? That expansion draft is going to still kind of bite him in the rear end because it felt like they didn't take advantage of other teams. They didn't really go for the best player available. They went for guys that, look at that back end. That's a classic example of overpaying guys. Overpaying guys, but guys that are decent, but there's no game breakers. No, right? I mean, and they had a chance to get Tarasenko sat. No, I, and, and they didn't do it. No, I, I mean, and they're committing long term. I mean, Jaden Schwartz contract is, is aging horribly and it's only one year in. He's got four more years left at 5.5 million and he's 30 years old. You know, and then now you have a bunch of other guys. So, I mean, I love the picture, but I think if we're being fair about what they've added, sure. they've added two bonafide top six fours and a top four defenseman or right. a number four, five defenseman in Justin Schultz. But that's essentially what Giordano was before. So two top six additions. So they're the team to me that's improved itself the most in the division. But to your point, it's not good enough to move the needle. Who would you say the number two team is that's improved itself? Okay. The most? So uh, the, in terms of rankings and who's done a lot, uh, I think this team and it's maybe going to be controversial around these parts, is the Edmonton Oilers. Their stock is up. And I. the reason I say that... Goaltending? Goaltending. Jack Campbell, and I'm not saying he's the answer because I've had my questions about him as well, especially in Toronto. Bit of a late bloomer. But is he an upgrade for Mike Smith? Yes, he is. Can he give you a little bit more confidence when it comes to the health? Yes, he can. Can he be in a position where he instills confidence in his team? And we saw when he was healthy in Toronto, he did that. So I look at that. This team otherwise hasn't changed all that much. You bring back Evander Kane on a contract that is for the output that he provided. And if he can even be pretty close to that, that's going to be a great contract for them. So I look at that and say, you've reinforced your top six with Evander Kane. But they had Evander Kane there last year. They haven't improved the team. You know what I mean? What what I'm saying is Goaltending they've improved. But forward-wise, I don't think they have, but goaltending-wise. Matias Janmark is a decent ad, like further down the lineup. Yeah, I mean, does it move a needle though? for a team that was lacking depth, you know, we're talking about are they better off than they were last yeah, year? Slightly, and I think they are. Slightly, I think they are. Slightly. But I mean, like, Yanmark's such a small play. Yeah, okay. The big slightly. move is Jack Campbell. Right? Campbell's the move. The, and it depends on how high you are on Jack Campbell. I wasn't the biggest of fans, but compared to what they had. You can ask Kevin Woodley. I'm not a huge Mike Smith fan either. So to me, this is a significant upgrade. So I would say Edmonton, you know, there was that question of can they come back and can they be strong? I think getting the right goalie in this market was important for them. So for me, their stock is up. So, but so you'd say they're the number two team that's improved itself the most. Do we agree that Seattle's a team that's improved itself the most? Yeah, I think I wouldn't necessarily rank them one two. Uh, I think Edmonton's in the mix though. Let's put it that way. Okay. So I'd I'd actually say Edmonton. You're not wrong about goaltending. It is better. But they're also losing Duncan Keith, even though he wasn't great, is losing something on the back end. Yeah. They kept Kulak, who they added at the deadline, you know, so, but, so they didn't improve the blue line. So they are slightly worse. So I'd say the loss of uh, Keith, adding Yanmark or whatever, I think it's a wash. So slightly better in goal, goal. Do you think the LA Kings have improved themselves significantly getting Kevin Fiala, which is really the only move they've made this yes. season? And the reason I say that is even before they went for Fiala, Adrian Kempe in transition is a pain in the ass. Like, he's not fun to deal with. And even in that Edmonton series, remember, mm-hmm. Duncan Keith and other defensemen had an issue keeping up with 
The LA Kings in moments in transition. But even during the regular season, he's a problem whenever he was playing against the Canucks. Now you add Kevin Fiala potentially on the same line, a guy that can put up 80 points, a guy that, you know, there are questions of whether he can do that every single year. Yeah, their top six group at the expense of a really good defenseman in Brock Faber who would have had, you know, a very, it would have been a tricky time on that back end in LA because they got a lot of options. So I think Kevin Fiala and really that being the only move is a power move. You get a guy that can give you to 70 to 80 points, maybe even more depending on who he plays and the chemistry he has. That's definitely a stock up. Yeah, you know, I think he he helps the team. I wonder, even though he's a goal scorer, I do kind of wonder just the way he scores and the way he plays, despite being fast. He's a bit of a high-volume shooter. His shooting percentage is pretty good at 12.6. I have some questions about him being able to pop off the same way with that team. I wonder. I just Mm -hmm. have some questions. But undoubtedly, they're adding a top six forward to that team. And Brock Faber wasn't playing for that team anyways. They have a young kid named Helge Granz. Yep who also has potential. So them not trading... Playing at the World Juniors right now? Yeah, he's a guy that I like a lot too. So he could be a guy that comes up for them in a couple of years. But as it stands, I'd say they improved themselves significantly. Or they, they made a significant addition to the team. What I like about them is that they just got a more skilled, but they got faster too. And if there's any you know, questions they're about fast. the... Like, yeah. you know, like they're good to begin with. Now they just got that much faster. And we know, you know the way that the game is going. We see some of the teams that play out East. Yeah. Whether it's the... You know, Toronto Maple Leafs, they got their own questions, but when they play fast, they're tough to compete with. We've seen that with the Carolina Hurricanes. We've seen that with Florida during the regular season. I think LA Kings just added a lot more speed and a lot more skill to their roster. Uh, In terms of stock, I'm going to say staying, I wouldn't say uh, down, but I'm saying neutral because I think if you had asked me right after the Johnny Gaudreau situation, the Matthew Kachuk situation, I would have said stock down and they're not recovering. I think the Flames... They have better balance now. Do they? On the back end. They the basically back got end, rid yes. of Good Branson for Uyghur, right? So they improved the defense. I agree. They improved the defense, but they got worse up front. And that's why I'm saying I don't think they've taken a step back. I feel like they need one more move to be a stock up, though. Like, yeah. they, to me, they're they're kind of stuck in, you know, stagnant there. They're kind of neutral. They're right neutral. There. I get what you're saying. Like, kind of like, you're kind of hovering at neutral. I'd actually say slightly stock down. Okay. Because what is. Uh, Matthew Kachuk, superstar player. Sure. What is John uh, Brood, uh, Huberto, superstar player? Goudreau, superstar. What is Uyghur? Very good player. Yeah. So you're trading two superstars for a superstar and a very good player, which means you're not as good. I don't think, even though defensively, you, but you are losing good Branson, upgrading with Uyghur. I just think up front now on the wings, I'm not as impressed by them as much as I was before. And also down the middle, even though Lindholm's really good. They essentially have two third-line centers with Backlund and Coleman. Yeah, Backlund. Especially if Backlund takes a little step back again this year, getting a little bit older. So so I wonder with those things being, I I would say slightly stock down. Very slight, though. I'd say like if we're doing points, they're like one point stock down. So with that, you know, I do wonder how this is going to really shake out for Elias Lindholm, though. Because the guy that sometimes gets lost in that conversation of the big three is Lindholm. And I would argue, you know, the points speak for themselves. Not trying to downplay what Kachuk and Gaudreau did. But on a lot of nights, Elias Lindholm was the guy that made everything happen because of his all-situations aspect, right? Super skilled, guy can score, he can assist, he can do everything. I do wonder, if, with this move with Huberto, if he goes out-and-out goal scorer now. Like, like, before he was kind of playing the hybrid role, I do feel like his role is going to change to be, you're getting the goals. You got a, an elite playmaker with you, 40 to 50 is where you should be hitting. So, 
if that all of a sudden turns into the hottest line in hockey to the hottest tandem in hockey, that could make it, I still don't think it's a stock up, but in terms of salvaging and trying to make it, you know, a situation where you're saying, hey, Calgary didn't drop off. I think Lindholm is the key there. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I think he would be, but I'd say a little bit stock down. You got a m- bit of a push at this yeah. point. I'd actually, I mean the Sharks stock down. I actually don't hate some of the moves they made, like you know getting guys like Nudavara on the back end, and you know the guys they've added aren't big, but they're just smart little additions. But they're not better because they traded Brent Burns away, right? Like so, I still say stock down for a team that is still trying to figure its way out. I think we both agree on that. Yep. Where do you come out on the Anaheim Ducks? Anaheim, I, I definitely think it's up, right? You when think you, so? When you add when you add a defenseman of the nature of a Klingberg, mm-hmm. it's you know you're taking a step. You have clarity in what they're building. I, I don't think that's going to mean much in terms of the standings. I'll, I'll right. be honest with you. They're still going to be a non-playoff team, but you add a player like Orion Strom at the age of 29. You might like the length on that uh, contract or not. It's still he's there till he's 34, which is not terrible, right? Uh, you add some other players like Vitrano. Like they're still a competitive team. They are. But here's where I say push and not that they're better. Okay. Because what did they do leading up to the deadline at the deadline? They traded away Lindholm. Yep. They traded away Manson. Josh Manson. They traded away Nick DeLaurier. And they traded away Ricard Raquel. Now, hey, Strom and Raquel, you replace Strom with Raquel, but very similar players, right? Like production-wise, top six type of caliber players. You can say Vitrano's better than DeLaurier, so slight upgrade sure. there. Klingberg and Lindholm. It comes down to how you view them. Yeah. Klingberg, more offensive. Lindholm, better defensive type of player. So I'd look at the totality. But then they lost Manson, too. Yeah. Right? So I'd say, if you look at if you look at it from where they were in the offseason to now, yeah, you're right. But if you look at it from where they were last year to now, I don't think they're better than what they were last year, but they're not worse than they were last year. No, and early, the first half of that season, you, we could all agree that they're punching above their weight. Yeah. Right? Like, they were a top three team, a top two team in the Pacific. I remember doing post games with you when John Gibson played a great game against the Canucks and the Canucks ended up losing um, that game, it was like, how long are the Ducks going to hang around here? We were asking that question at that point. So I feel like the first half of the year, they surprised people, but we found out who the Ducks were eventually. So to me, you know, maybe some of that's going to come back with Mason McTavish being a full-time NHLer. You're going to see them grow a little bit, but I think the additions were probably like slightly better because I, I like Klingberg. Um, you know, I think with Josh Manson, I'm a big Josh Manson guy. I think that hurts eventually, but I like the moves that they've made to get slightly younger, a little bit more skilled. And on the defensive side of things, when you add a Klingberg, I, I, I would say they've gotten better yeah. slightly. I, I'd say they push. You think they got better. That leaves us with the Vancouver Canucks. And we'll hit that on the other side. We also have Adnan Burke, who's going to join us MLB network. And we'll get into everything else going on in the world of sport as well. We ranked all, all we were ranking. We're looking at all eight teams in the Pacific division. We've gone through seven Canucks stock up or stock down. You let us know too on our Dunbar lumber text inbox, box, six fifty six fifty. more coming up next right here on Sportsnet six fifty. People Show, Satyar Shaw with Randy Janda. Get in touch with us on our Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox, 650-650. Ben Turn keeping things going on the boards. I'm doing my best. Doing a good job. So far, so good. Yeah. 33 minutes in. It's an excellent job thus far. Uh, We have this question. Mm. Unsigned text. Are you guys doing Confession Friday on a Thursday again this week? Yes. You're damn right we are. We are. 
It's happening. 4.30. Get those confessions in early if you want to. Yeah, two, uh, two hours from now we'll do it. So get those confessions in. I see a bunch coming in too, and I appreciate all the text messages that we're, we were talking. One key thing though, Sat, you yeah. haven't done this before? No. It's anonymous. You oh. don't say names when we... Well, because... don't sign your names and just put CF. Don't, don't put it on me. But like, <laughs> they still want to be known. Okay, I got you. They want us to know, but they don't know. All right, the I sign your name, I won't read your name. It's like, okay, fine. It's like, you know, a priest at confession, right? The priest sees what's going on, kind of. But, but nobody else does. Nobody else does. It's between you, the priest, and God. So, right. yes. Uh, I don't know which one's which. But, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's coming up in a bit. We're going to talk to Adnan Verk coming up in a few minutes. And coming up at the top of the hour, we'll, we'll finish the conversation we had around the Pacific Division, stock up, stock down, and all the teams after news of Robin Leonard's season-ending injury before the season even began. So we went through the Pacific Division, and we haven't talked about the Canucks yet. That's coming up at 3 o'clock, but we're going to be speaking to Adnan Verk uh, just in a matter of moments here. Now, when I'm looking at what's happening in baseball, I look at the Seattle Mariners, and I look at the Toronto Blue Jays, who are almost in a dead heat now for the top wildcard spot. Toronto has 60 wins. Seattle has 61. Win percentage for Seattle is slightly better. That's why they have half a game lead in the wildcard race over the Seattle Mariners. But the way things are shaping up right now, Randeep, the Mariners and Jays are meeting one another in the postseason, and it's going to come down to who's going to have home field advantage. That's really what it looks like at the moment. Yeah, and the way it you know, kind of is forming in front of our eyes here uh, the Mariners took care of business against the Yankees, which was pretty impressive. Great pitching efforts by their pitchers. Yankees had some good ones too. But I have a lot more questions about the Blue Jays right now. Mm-hmm. Like a lot. And I'm talking about hitting. I'm talking about pitching. I'm talking about where a certain $12 million pitcher ends up being. Like they signed Kikuchi to, to be a starter. There's no confidence in his game right now. Like there's a lot of questions with the Blue Jays. Yeah, definitely is a lot of questions. And we'll see if uh, Adnan Verk, our guest here from MLB Network, has any answers for us. And also the Cinephile podcast. And Adnan, I got to say, I'm very excited for this discussion because you and I have not had a chance to discuss things on radio for a few months now because the show changed going back about, you know, seven, eight, nine months now. So I'm very excited to talk baseball with you today, man. Sat, great to catch up again, man. It was nice to talk to Riccio last time. Randy was back from his travels overseas. Great tweet from Randeep about being at the Gurdwara, uh, people colliding, crashing into each other, always very strong, <laughs> topical, timely, religious humor. I enjoy that. And I hope you've been well, Zach. Good to chat, man. You no, know, it's, it's great being back. I'm looking forward to this discussion. And Randeep and I were just, you know, talking about the Toronto Blue Jays and the Seattle Mariners. And right now, you know, if these two teams do meet in the postseason, it's hard not to feel better about the Mariners' chances with how the Jays' pitching staff's been scuffling, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I love the point Randy was just making. I mean, Kikuchi's a bust, right? Three years, $36 million. Like, I remember someone saying to me, he's an all-star. I'm like, you do realize the all-star is the first half of the season, right? Like, the first half he was great. Second half he stunk. And then you gave the guy $36 million. And he's a disappointment. And the, the Jays' rotation went from feeling good about five to good about two. Manoa's a top-ten pitcher in baseball. I think Gossman's excellent. Ryu got hurt. Kikuchi's a bust. Stripling did a decent job actually feeling like better than I thought he would have. And he got hurt. And Barrios is way too inconsistent. Like, for the fact you gave up two prospects for him, and maybe Martin and uh, Woods don't pan out, but you're giving Barrios a ton of money. Like, there's a lot of cheddar here. You're expecting him to be, if not an ace, like, he's 1A, 1B. He's one of those guys that I said he'll be a great number two or a decent ace. And he's not of those. Like, he's like a number three. And I'm like, eh, that's not supposed to be happening. Now, he's better recently. But overall, his numbers, like, either he'll give up, like, eight runs in four and a third, or he'll shut a guy down for six. And he's a great guy, but you got to expect more to Jose Barrios and Kikuchi specifically. So, I think the biggest thing 
Toronto needed was another starter. They didn't do it. DePoto was like, hey, I'll do it. I don't care. I'll give you four prospects. Let's go. They call me Trader Jerry for a reason. I'll give you four prospects. I'll go get Castillo, best starting pitcher available. Huge advantage to Seattle. Now, Robbie Ray, who's been a disappointment as an ace, well, he's a great number two. No problem. Now, all of a sudden, Logan Gilbert's really good. He's a three. I got Marco Gonzalez, and now my rotation feels pretty good. So that is definitely a win for Seattle. Offensively, you've got to have Julio Rodriguez back clicking. You know, that's a rare team that's really led and epitomized by their rookie. It's awfully rare that a freshman can be your guy. Jeter, Evan Longoria, Posey, Rodriguez, uh, Ali Rutschman with the Orioles. Pretty rare that a rookie can come up and immediately say, oh, it's my team. I'm the best offensive player on this team. Away we go. And that's how important J-Rod is to that team. But Hanniger's back now. Ty Francis had a really good season. So I'm with you guys. Yeah, if you look at Seattle and Toronto, sure, Toronto's got sexy names. And Vlad Jr.'s had a terrific season. Romano's obviously a great closer. But I think the starting pitching, it clearly goes to Seattle. I don't give the offensive edge to the Jays, but Seattle's playing better right now, no doubt. Okay, offensively, though, you know, there's that, that search for a lefty bat for the Blue Jays. It feels like every offseason they're trying to find that player. They don't really get him. The question I have for the playoffs is, are the Jays balanced enough for the playoffs? Or are they easy to pitch against? When we're talking about a series when you can zero in on matchups, are they just an easy matchup because you kind of know what they have and you can you can zero in on that? Um, I don't know if they're an easy matchup. I, I agree with you that, yes, they do need to get a left-handed bat. I mean, that, you're right, that's been an issue for a while. And it, it goes back to Rowdy Telez. I mean, where would the Brewers have been without Rowdy Telez? He's had a really good season for them this year. Hunter Renfro's been really good. But, of course, Jay Haddon, they just traded him away. Like that, that's the lefty bat you could have used is Telez. And instead of like, yeah, he's expendable and away we go. So, um, I guess maybe a little bit of buyer's remorse. He wasn't great with Toronto, better with Milwaukee. But, yeah, lucky to bat has felt like something they needed. With your Yankees, you saw the impact Matt Carpenter had after having two you know, dreadful nomadic seasons. That was unbelievable. Lucky to bat, Yankees team, he's built for that, although now it's a fractured foot out of six to eight weeks. So, Listen, I look at matchups, but if the team is rolling, they're rolling. Like, I don't care if they don't have lefties. If Springer's hitting, and Vlad Jr.'s awesome, and Bichette plays better, and Teoster's there, and Lourdes, like, yeah, fine, I don't care. I have nine righties. Like, if you're a good offense, you're a good offense. Um, but I do agree with you that they needed – there's two things they needed. Everyone knows this. Starting pitcher and left-handed bat. They didn't do it. They had a couple of relievers. They got Bass. They got the Canadian. Um, but it wasn't nearly enough. If I had to use one word to describe that trade deadline, it was underwhelming for the Jays. Well, it truly was. And just kind of looking at the matchups here between Seattle and, say, Toronto, like if they end up meeting um, in the wild card and, you know, everything holds and you have the Yankees and Astros getting buys in the first round, I mean, I don't know how a team like Toronto, if they go three games um, against Seattle and even win, how they're going to match up against the Astros and or Yankees rotation if a guy like you know Kikuchi or Mitch um, Mitch White's going to be game one and game five starter in a situation like that, you know? So I I just see it being really hard for a team like Toronto to have success, whereas a team like Seattle, especially with their rotation, if they win the first round, I can, I can see them having three starters, and if they win in two games, I think they would have a chance to make life difficult for a team like the Astros and Yankees at least, even though those two teams are superior. Yeah, it becomes a big question, Sal. Like, who's the third best team in the American League? Yeah. You know it's either Astros-Yankees or Yankees-Astros. And I'm with you. I think a week ago I would have said the Blue Jays. They still can be that team. But Seattle, they just look different since the trade deadline. And, again, it goes back to their starting pitching. You could see them matching up. Now, for Mitch White, I'm sure a fan would say, well, listen, in the wild card, it's only a three-game series. It's not like he's going to get a start anyway. So the three guys are going to be Manoa, Gossman, Barrios. And that feels like a really good threesome. Like, there's no doubt about it. But... If Barrios is the way the Barrios has been recently, and if one of those guys gets touched up a little bit, you know what I mean? Like if, if the Mariners just work Austin and Manoa's pitch count, and all of a sudden they're into 100 pitches in the sixth, 
that does concern me for Toronto as well. Their bullpen leading to Romano. Romano's great, but that 7th to 8th can be a little bit vulnerable as well. So I think if you, that's, that is compelling. If you said Seattle-Toronto match up their top three starters, I like Castillo, Ray, and Gilbert better than I would Manoa, Gossman, and um, Barrios. But I do still think Toronto's offense is capable of more. But, again, it goes down to streakiness and consistency. Who's playing better? So right now it's funny how you would have thought the start of the year Toronto's pushing for the division title, and now it's no chance of that happening. New York's going to win the division over 100 wins, even with Randy Yankees being a 500 team in the last 40 games. They're winning that division, no doubt about it. But Seattle might not only end that playoff drought, but be the third-best team in the American League. That's saying something. Okay, on those Yankees, though, I wanted to ask you, okay, they've lost seven of their last eight. What's going on here? Is it, you can you chalk that up to injuries, or is this just a, a lull that, uh, or, or are you seeing something in that on that team right now that's a bit of a problem? No, I, I think it's a lull. I think it's injuries. I, I think that, you know, nobody expected to have the kind of start they had. Like the, the fact that they were on pace for like 117, 118 wins was shocking to everybody. Like, there's no way this could be as good as the 98 Yankees team, which won 114 games. So inevitably... They're going to slow down. And injuries is a big part of it, uh, the offense specifically. You know, Judge has been a one-man band. He's been worth everything. And he's, every home run he hits, it's Kaching. He's got 44 home runs. He's going to break Roger Maris's record if he stays healthy. That's amazing to me. 61 home runs. He's going to break that thing. Forget about Nash. He'll hit, he's on pace for 66 home runs, even with a little bit of load management. Incredible. But Stanton's been out. Rizzo had the back issue. Carpenter's now hurt. He was unbelievable. He was like Roy Hobbs, the natural, how many home runs he was hitting. So all of a sudden, that Yankee offense feels very vulnerable. You start to say, Isaiah Connor falefa hey, I like him as a number nine hitter to play good defense and maybe hit a single the other way, but that's it. Glaber Torres, he's okay. Trevino, he's come back down to earth after being an all-star catcher. Agashioka, defense, no hit. Uh, Donaldson strikes out too much. Doesn't hit for average. Has some pop. But all of a sudden, it feels very leaky. And Aaron Hicks is a huge disappointment. Terrible contract. Speaking of bad deals, he's awful. And Ben Attendee, you thought would be an instant difference maker? Good trade by Cashman? No, he isn't anything either. So it really feels like it's Aaron Judge and a bunch of other guys. And who would have thought Carpenter being hurt would actually have a residual effect? He just figured he was a spare piece. So I, I just think it's key that Stanton and Rizzo can produce specifically because it just takes some of the heat off the judge. Also, did not see Clay Holmes struggles happening. I mean, he was lights mm-hmm. out the first half of the season. Best close in the game along with Edwin Diaz. The fact he's had control issues really worrisome. Because they lost Chad Green. They lost Michael King, two premier setup guys. Our oldest Chapman has been shaky. And all of a sudden, Clay Holmes looks bad. And then you got a real problem now. That's forearms that have issues. So I do like the fact they got Afros and the Cubs, you know, sidewinder. But they got to get Chapman right. This isn't like a spare part. Like, oh, our oldest Chapman can pitch. We're up 5 1 in the six. No, no, like he needs to be mm-hmm. a setup guy or a closer. Otherwise, that Yankee bullpen, which has been a strength, becomes a detriment. And they're uh, starting pitching. You saw the difference there with Severino being out. Cortez is nails. Love him. And I love Garrett Cole. And Tyone's pretty good. <clears throat> but, um, you know, I think in that instance, losing Severino showed how vulnerable they are. Now, you, you know, you mentioned the Roger Maris in 61 and how Aaron Judge has a chance of breaking that. And especially now with, you know, Barry Bonds not getting into the Hall of Fame and, you know, people wondering about the number being real with the asterisks and all that. There's a big push now with people saying Aaron Rodge can be the real home run champion if he actually beats Maris as 61. What do you what do you make of that narrative that's kind of coming out right now? Listen, I think it'd be remarkable no matter what. Like, I think it's an amazing record. Like, I think for me, 61 will always be special. And yeah, I think that it will be the new home run king. I mean, it's tough to look at McGuire's 70 and feel good about it. It's even harder to feel that about Bond 73. It's even 
harder to feel that about Sosa in 66. And I'll never forget 98. I mean, I was 20 years old. I remember telling, I was at Ryerson, second year, third year, something like that. Me and Cabby, same class, RTA, <laughs> yeah. Radio and Television Arts. And I told my teacher, I said, I'm going to be missing class tonight. It was September 8th. He goes, where are you going to be? I said, you a baseball fan? He said, yeah. I said, I'm watching Sosa McGuire, baby. Like, I, I love that whole run chase as much as anybody. And when McGuire hit, well, ended up being his shortest home run of the year, and uh, Joe Buck with the call, give me a hug, a big lug afterwards, awkward moment for Joe, who we love. Um, the way he awkwardly missed first base, came back, uh, Sosa doing the kiss. Yeah. All that, I mean, I loved it, man. I, I was enraptured by it. And then, of course, it all fell apart with the Mitchell Report and all the rest of it. But baseball is my favorite sport. And I'll never forget Aaron Boone one time on set. We were saying, you know, what's the best play in baseball? And everyone says a triple, right? And Booney shrugged and goes, home run. Are you kidding? That's the easiest dance I've ever heard in my life. What's the best thing in baseball? A triple? No. It's not like a triple play. It's a home run. When they hit a home run, everyone goes nuts. So there's nothing better than a home run. There's no prestigious team in American sports than the Yankees, 27-time World Series champions. And there's arguably no more charismatic athlete in the game than Aaron Judge, who's six foot seven, 282, and better than himself and cashed in. So if he hits 62 home runs, you better believe I'm going to say that's an incredible record and incredible feat. You're listening to The People Show. We're joined by Adnan Verk, as we are every week. And uh, Adnan, we go from a, a record-breaking player to one that seems like he's kind of cursed. Chris Sale, uh, three injuries this year, the most recent one, a broken wrist. Uh, what do you make of, A, his season, just the way it's gone down? And is that kind of emblematic of what's going on with the Red Sox this year? Just nothing can go right for them? Excellent use of emblematic, and I do think sometimes that does happen. Just like injuries happen, you feel cursed. I mean, all credit to my man Alex Cora. Without AC, they'd have no chance. Like, Alex single-handedly kept that team in there, somehow figuring out their pitching and their bullpen. They got off to a bad start. He got them believing in themselves. And, of course, three big reasons why that helped. Devers, Bogarts, Martinez. That in the heart of your lineup feels great. Story bounced back after a shaky start. But you can't overcome the lousiness of their pitching. And they were really waiting for sale. You felt like he was the white knight in shining armor coming back. Once he had that setback, you're like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Like, I thought Evaldi might get traded. Winkowski's just a rookie. I mean, most of those guys you can't rely on. Garrett Whitlock's really good, um, but he's a guy you're not sure if he's a more valuable as a multi-inning reliever or as a starter. So their pitching has just been woeful. I mean, there's, there's no getting around it. And I, sales injury, to your point, is just an example of how that team feels cursed. And I mean, that's going to be one of the worst contracts I've ever seen signed. Uh, I'm not kidding. Three years at 145, excuse me, yeah. five years, $145 million, and he's three years in. I think the number is, He's only pitched 48 innings. Like, even I was like, that can't be right. Like, oh, yeah. Like, it is atrocious how bad sales been. And part of that's just like his body type, right? Young and skinny and somehow just, just can't stay healthy. But falling off a bike, like that, that's awful. But they're 11-25 and 25 since the start of July. That's better than only the Nationals across the majors. And their bullpen, 7-1-5 ERA since the All-Star break. That's the highest in baseball. No manager as great as Alex Corey is for that. And no offense, even with Devers and Bogarts can overcome that. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of that episode of Winning Time with the Lakers. Flying off your bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable scene. How about that coach? Tracy Letts, the actor. Noted stage veteran. Yeah. Uh, I believe they used, believe they used Beach Boys, right? Wouldn't it yeah. be nice? Maybe no, not, Beach Boys, they, yeah. Yeah, Jar- yeah, yeah. Jack McKinney falling over. I mean, that that that's what I, I... I wasn't sure if it was real, honestly, Adnan. When I heard about it, I'm like... Are we sure Chris Sale didn't like like lose a gasket and like punch something or whatever? Like did that actually happen? But hey, you know, baseball injuries are always wild. Uh, one more baseball thing I wanted to throw by you though before we wrap things up. Uh, it's the Field of Dreams game today um, in baseball. And we've seen this happen now a couple of times. Where do you come out on this? Are you excited to watch the Cubs and Reds in the in the Field of Dreams game tonight? 
Love it, Sad. I was lucky enough to be there last year for the inaugural event. Um, I had an idea they'd do it again, though. So I kept saying, oh, my God, they'll never do this again. And in my head, knowing they would do it again. So it was, it was funny. But at least I can say I was at the first one ever, which was cool. Because uh, I worked for MLB Network, I got to take a tour of the house and see where Kevin Costner and Amy Madigan hung out as old things in movies and shows. It's always smaller than you think. It's a very tiny house. I made sure I opened the fridge, saw a little Newman's own salad dressing. All right, cool. Maybe that's been there since 1988. I uh, met Costner. He was awesome. We had him on set for Intentional Talk. California, cool. He walked on that set. Perfect sunglasses, perfectly uh, fitted shirt, uh, light khaki. Like just, just so unhurried, unrushed. I'm like, man, that's star power. Like I just walked on the set, put his mic on, everything he said. So it's smart, refreshing. Shook my hand, smiled. Good stuff. I'm like, all right, man. Kevin Costner, he's awesome. Uh, so it was a really cool event. People there are very nice. I, don't, I can't think of a BC correlation. I haven't spent enough time there, but it's a kind of spot. It's great for two days, right? You go to Dyersville, Iowa. Yep. It's hard to get to. I had to fly from Jersey to Chicago. From there, it's like a drive to Iowa. I remember my, my connecting flight got canceled. And so MLB Network hooking me up. They give me like a car service. It's like I walked, I woke up at like 2.30 in the morning in Dyersville, Iowa. Uh, Dubuque, excuse me. Dubuque is 40 minutes from Dyersville. There's like no hotel in Dyersville, maybe like a Super 8. So Dubuque is actually the major city, which is maybe 30,000 people. And I woke up, and I swear to God, I looked up, and I, I thought I saw Moonlight Graham walking down the street. Like, it was middle of nowhere. I'm so tired. But the hotel, and Randy, if you'll appreciate this, notable, as my boss, Mark Kaiapa, told me, he goes, Capone used to stay here. I'm like, really? Okay. He's like, yeah. The, the hotel, Julian, he goes, look it up. Capone used to always stay here, and you can ask for the Capone suite. Of course, I did not get the suite. But he was at the top, and the reason why is he'd stay there because you could see the cops coming from Iowa, Illinois, and one other state that it borders. So that was probably the coolest thing for me. I'm like, oh, wow, I get to stay at the same hotel Capone used to stay at. We found the one really good Italian restaurant in Dubuque, Iowa. We get to the middle of nowhere, Dyersville. Smells like cow dung, but the people are super friendly. I was, of course, the only brown guy there. Uh, and I had a great time. It was, it was a hell of a game, and uh, it's really cool. I don't know how much I'll watch tonight. Just like I said, I, I saw it, so I've, I've been there. But I'll watch a few innings. And, and listen, the numbers were amazing. I remember I got... Six million people watching, I think, on Fox. It was like the highest-rated regular season game in 12 years. So I love the movie, and I love the event. Yeah, the visuals are amazing. Oh, you might appreciate this. So you know when you talk about, you know, on screen, the, the place looks bigger in, in regards to the house? So uh, yeah. you're a Soprano super fan like I am. I went to the Bada Bing back in the day, and when it was yeah. still standing, on camera, that place looked massive. Real life, not so big. Yeah, the Bada Bing, which is actually Satin Dolls, a uh, gentleman's right. club. For those it used to be Satin Dolls. They tore it down. <laughs> no, no, it's it's 17 minutes from my house. Oh, okay, never mind then. Oh yeah, it's on it's a Route 17, which is the popular route as I'm going to work in Secaucus. So every day I drive by and I look over and I think, wow, that's where Ralphie killed the stripper. <laughs> Incredible scene when he just destroyed Tracy. I'm like, oh my god, poor thing. How about oh, those yeah. choppers and Silvio Center? Every time I look back, I go, wow. And on top of the satin dolls, there's a billboard for a divorce lawyer. Every time it makes me laugh. Like if you get busted by your wife, don't worry, call this number. And we'll figure a way to get a good divorce. And you can come back to Satin Dolls. And as you drive, now, now you really get me rolling. I'll take a picture next time for you. When oh. you drive by, it actually says the original home of the Bada Bing. So oh, they know wow. the Fredos okay. fans like you and me who are going there just to pay homage to Tony and sell the boys. Okay. That is tremendous. You, gotta, you have to take a photo of that. I can't wait to see that. Now, before we let you go. Yeah, I, I, I can't wait to send it to you and then immediately delete it. So my wife said, why exactly are you taking pictures of strip clubs on your phone? <laughs> Honey, <laughs> I drove by. Randy, yeah. huge fan. Like, it's not going to work. Yeah. Nobody's going to listen to you. This is a professional yeah. uh, photo. It's, it's for work. I mean, you're, you're being asked by sports yeah. broadcasters in Vancouver to do it for you. So it's, it's completely above board. None of it is a problem. <laughs> before we let you go, though, Adnan, 
Well, I mean, the world's been a buzz when we saw Edwin Diaz's walkout music. What's the verdict from you on that? Oh, phenomenal. Are you kidding? I love it. I mean, it's one of the best things going right now in sports. Uh, Timmy Trumpet and Blaster Jacks playing Narcos. It's awesome. <laughs> it's not quite like Enter Sandman, and obviously Rivera was iconic, but I mean, they had the national foxing the other day. It was amazing. They had like a, like a, like a steady cam on Diaz's shoulder when he came out. It was amazing. Like, oh, yeah. Like, it, it's a cool environment. I almost want to go to City Field just to see the Mets have a lead and see Diaz do that. He's been the best closer in baseball this year, especially with the haters' struggles. And he's made that trade feel really different. Remember, originally, that probably cost Brody Van Wagner his job. Like, he mm-hmm. traded for Cano. Are you kidding? He's awful. But Kelnick hasn't panned out at all with Seattle, and Diaz has been a flamethrower. So I, I think it's a really cool event in New York, and especially when you see Mr. Met get those trumpets going, it, it's fun to see. Uh, and, and it's really cool when you see Mr. Met doing it. Okay, I, I, okay, I said the last question. I have one more because you brought up City Field. I have some people I know in New York who are Mets fans, but they swear that ever since you know Yankees went to New Yankee Stadium, the City Field has more soul than Yankee Stadium. Oh, come on now. Yeah, I, I, I've heard that talk. You know, AJ Preller said that to me. He's, he's mm. a New Yorker, Long Island guy. And when I called the Padres, he told me he grew up a diehard Yankees fan. And so when the Padres play the Mets now, it feels like that, that building's more jumping. I mean, listen, I love both, but I still think Yankee Stadium is Yankee Stadium. It's not as cool as the old park, but it's more comfortable. The amenities are better, and to me it still has the richness of the history, the freeze, um, you know, the facade, all that kind of stuff. To me, the pinstripes will always be iconic. But it is true, City Field is rocking, especially now because the team is so good. Um, it is definitely a fun environment. Shake Shack out there in left field. And I love the Robinson Rotunda. I mean, it's, it's a great homage to mm-hmm. Ebbets Field. I mean, if you're a baseball fan of a certain age, you know how much that meant to the Brooklyn Dodgers. So I do love the fact, even though the Mets came out in 62, it's an homage to the Brooklyn Dodgers. Makes you think of Jackie and Koufax, especially that outside. And then when you walk in, They've got a huge picture there of Robinson and Branch Rickey. So I'm a big City Field fan, to be clear, but mm-hmm. I would still go Yankee Stadium. Great stuff as always, Adnan. Appreciate it, man. Have a great weekend. We ran the gamut this, boys. All you right, got it. Sad. Good to be with you again, Randy. We'll talk soon. Love it. Thanks so much. That is Adnan Verk, MLB Network. We'll look forward to chatting with him next week as well. We got our money's worth with uh, Adnan this week, but it's always great chatting with him because he's going to talk in-depth about everything, man. You can yeah. talk about Anything the Sopranos, else. baseball, Field of Dreams, and now also, like, ambiance. He's been to almost every, every ballpark, right? But, uh, you know, it's funny because I was talking to some people, and they're, they're like, City Field, that's how much fun. Because I'm like, you know, yeah. it looked fun. I was messaging your buddy like a carnival. Yeah, right? and carnival. I, was, I looked really fun. I'm like, and, you know, he's like, man, I swear it's better than Yankee Stadium, better than Yankee Stadium. I'm like, I don't know, man. First, I haven't been. I don't haven't been to yeah, either. Yeah. I don't know. First couple of years when they opened Yankee Stadium, the verdict was out and like, this is too corporate. This is too, yeah. too cushy. This is not gritty and grimy enough. The last time I went, it's getting there. Like, yeah, the first, it <laughs> They're was turning too, it up. You know, it, was, it was too clean, man. Remember the old Yankee Stadium? There was, uh, a, a, there was an element of griminess there that it was intimidating to go there. I think Yankee Stadium's slowly turned the corner. But hey, I've heard that as well. Like where the Mets, it's not as it's not as shiny, but it's it's fun. It's kind of, has a, a more of, character. There, it's a carnival atmosphere. Yeah. Where the Yankee Stadium is taken a little bit more seriously, right? Right. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it was one of those things. I want to check it out. You you got a you got a take on stadium ambiance, Ben Turn? I would say that I've been to the new Yankee Stadium, mm. and it's awesome. Yeah. I didn't get to go to the old Yankee Stadium, so I can't really compare it. But I'm just, old, so I've been there. Yes, I just like being there, though. It's you feel the history and you see the the names and the numbers in the outfield and stuff, and that means something, and that's pretty cool. But I mean, Padre Stadium in San Diego when it's outdoors, that's nice. You, your stadium has to fit your city. I feel yeah. Like. You know what's a great stadium? Pittsburgh PNC Park. Mm. It's got the history because Honus Wagner and all yeah. that. And then it's also like one of the best backdrops in all of baseball. Yeah. So if you have a chance, That's hit a that one. one up as well. What what is the uh, what's the one in San Francisco called now? It used to be Pac Bell. I've been to that. 
Yeah. Uh, but that's a is tro- it AT&T? Well, yes, AT&T yes. now. That is a tremendous yeah, ballpark. It's awesome. a bit windy, but it's right on the water. It is It is absolutely stunning. I just stunning. think of the guys in the kayaks going to get buried. Yeah, yeah. Covey Cove, yeah. Covey Cove is right there. It's tremendous. All right. Uh, great stuff as always. That was It was fun catching up with Adnan Burke. We have more coming up in the next hour of the show. We'll delve into more of the Pacific Division and the Vancouver Canucks stock up or stock down after the offseason. And we'll talk to Chris Faber coming up as well. That's next right here on Sportsnet 650.